0: broadcasting live from the Great Northern Hotel in beautiful Twin Peaks, Washington. I'm Matt.
1: I'm Caroline, and this is an episode-by-episode breakdown and discussion of all three seasons of Twin Peaks.
0: On November 5th, remember to vote Daryl Lodwick for District Attorney. Daryl Lodwick, a good man with a proven record, paid for by the committee to elect Daryl Lodwick.
1: Today, we'll be talking about Season 2, Episode 5, The Orchid's Curse
0: and the crowd goes mild. My notes are much shorter for this episode even though it was actually a little bit longer than usual.
1: It felt very short.
0: (laughs) This is a kind of a doozy. Directed by Graham Clifford and written by Barry Pullman. Graham Clifford directed only this episode of the show. This was Barry Pullman's first episode that he wrote and wrote some subsequent episodes Going forward in season two, so no disrespect, but I wonder if this—if we have this guy to blame for uh, some of some of what goes down, because we see, I think we see some cracks early on here.
1: Yeah, we've talked about this before with season two that some of the stuff early in season two is a little bit cringier when you know what's coming. But I think that there were some parts of this episode where I kind of felt myself like, oh god, here it is, this is it, here it comes.
0: I, I tuned a lot of it out, honestly. I really had to go back for the notes rewatch because, oof. It's not all bad. Let's get through it. So Cooper wakes up to his alarm early in the morning at the Great Northern and reveals he's chewed through one of his earplugs while dreaming that it was a gumdrop. He goes to do a handstand to aid in his recovery from his gunshot wound. He's recording all this to Diane. He spots, (laughs) finally, the letter that Audrey left and realizes that this was the thing the giant told him he forgot. And the letter points him towards One-Eyed Jack's.
1: It's another one of her, like, very cryptic, for no reason notes where she's like, I'm going north. Jack may have the answer. It's like, Audrey, everybody knows what you're talking about. You're not being cryptic.
0: Cooper already knows what she's talking about, but she doesn't know that Cooper knows what she's talking about. So it's just not helpful. Hawk reports that the Palmer neighbors have not seen a gray-haired man that they've been looking for, Bob. Yeah,
1: the, the neighbors up at the house at pearl lakes or wherever that leland mentioned
0: yeah lucy tells truman that she's headed to tacoma for a few days to see her sister says goodbye uh and cooper arrives to tell truman that he knows where audrey is so they've got the jump on the kidnappers bobby and shelly test out some malfunctioning equipment for leo to help him in and out of bed and into his wheelchair with an annoying salesman and then they just get horny and leave. Yeah, pretty much. And he's stuck on the malfunctioning equipment swinging around. So begins, I think, in earnest, one of like the top five worst subplots going forward.
1: Yeah. I have thoughts on this, too. A friend of mine who's also watching the first season of Twin Peaks for the first time made a comment about the way that the show... It was in, in reference to um, specifically some of the Red Room scenes earlier on in season one. But um, the, the sort of this, he called it the spectacle of disability. And there's like a weird way in which that also kind of happens with this Leo subplot where like Leo suddenly gets creepier once he's like a vegetable, right? Like it's used mm-hmm. as like a weird, creepy. Yeah, it's also, it's just a weird, this this plot is a weird choice for a whole bunch of reasons. And in addition to just being like, not interesting, so
0: well, so watching this just made me think. That's two for the weird jar, by the way. I don't have any coins. Sorry, folks. I think that they should have just killed Leo off at the end of season one. Yeah. I think that's the best thing they could have done. And I think they could have used it to further some subplots. They kind of thought Leo Johnson was doing a lot of the stuff. So to have him killed off entirely and then also realize that he's probably not the killer would mm-hmm. have been good and it could have had bobby kill him you could have had hank kill him. i mean you could have actually just like and then bobby could still hook up with shelly and it could be some kind of weird kind of fucked up traumatic thing where like they like each other but he also killed leo and he could blame it on hank or there's any number of things they could have done and it could have been another shock value thing that i would have been fine with and on yeah because it's just ugh, ugh.
1: there could have been something interesting that they could have done plot wise had they just killed Leland off not Leland, leo <laughs>
0: Yeah, hang on.
1: This is why I need to be drinking coffee. Okay, it's been a morning.
0: Uh, we're both in pretty rare form. The episodes do this, so you can tell, folks. Judge Sternwood is holding court in the roadhouse.
1: I'm so confused. For
0: okay. no reason to determine if Leland gets bail.
1: Twin Peaks is in a county. I don't care where it is or how far away from things it is, it's in a county. And you would think, given how remote it seems to be, that Twin Peaks would be the county seat and that they would have a frickin' courthouse or just a building other than the bar.
0: (laughs) They do because we see that town hall space when Cooper is first announcing the curfew and whatnot, so... Doesn't make sense.
1: If Twin Peaks isn't the county seat, then I'm sorry, but they all have to go to the county seat. Like, you have to drive to wherever the fuck Washington to, like, go to the trial. That's how this works. Carry on.
0: Well, maybe Sternwood just, I, I think maybe the idea is Sternwood just enjoys having court at the bar because you can just get drinks really easily. So, Daryl Ludwig is fine. He was not apprehended by Hank as we thought. He's there to, uh, I guess, argue the case against Leland getting bail. Truman pleads Leland's defense? Strange.
1: Also weird shouldn't be allowed. That's a conflict of interest.
0: Yeah, not okay. And then the judge grants him bail for no reason. I don't understand. He killed someone. Why would he get bail? This doesn't make sense. Just because we feel bad doesn't... uh, Elect Daryl Lodwick. Re-elect Daryl Lodwick.
1: Yeah, I don't know. The whole thing seems...
0: Flimsy at best.
1: I also don't understand why, like, this is the detail, like... They have to have court in the bar because they're rural.
0: I don't want to get I don't want to get into this now. But is it the roadhouse or is it the bang bang bar? Because they just cannot seem to decide, and I I don't know what to do with that. It's the same location.
1: I always thought that the roadhouse was just like a colloquial, like people called it that, even though okay. it was technically called the bang bang bar.
0: Okay, I can live with that. Donna is talking to Harold and proposes that she'll tell him her story for his you know, living story tapestry that he was talking about last episode, if she can read Laura's diary. He agrees and retrieves a notebook and diary from a secret compartment in a bookshelf. Donna starts in the beginning with where she was born. I just wrote that they they flirt existentially before Donna snatches away Laura's diary and runs outside, sort of teasing him with it. Poor man tries to pursue her, but he basically he has like a seizure when he steps outside and she collapses, apologizing profusely.
1: Also, I like that his living novel is just a bunch of notebooks.
0: Yeah, it's not so much a living novel so much as just a bunch of biographies that he's taken of people. Donna says something about what if our dreams are real.
1: Just in case you forgot.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Really just seems like the writer was like, got to toss one of these in there. She's doing that kind of, she leaves her mouth kind of hanging open just a little bit. Give that kind of like, I'm like smoking the phantom cigar almost or cigarette. This is where my interest in the Herald scenes also starts to drop off. (laughs) And markedly by the end.
1: We'll get there. We'll get there.
0: Back to the Bang Bang Bar or the Roadhouse.
1: Or the Courthouse.
0: So maybe that's how you know if someone's a regular, a local or a tourist. So if you go visit Twin Peaks, make sure Sternwood presides over Leo's competency hearing, which seems somewhat superfluous (laughs) given Leo's condition. But I guess they still got to make the case. They still got to handle these formalities. Lodwick is on the war path to try and uh, stop Leo from being declared unfit to stand trial. Uh, but Cooper and Truman are invited to a sidebar with Sternwood. He says he'll declare Leo unfit to stand trial. He has no, uh, no brain activity according to the defense, whoever's defending. I don't know who that man is.
1: That's Leo's lawyer. That's the other thing. There are like 15 lawyers in this town and no courthouse.
0: That really should have been the big reveal of season three. Like, what a good fan moment is if we had finally seen, like, the new Twin Peaks courthouse. Uh, so one thing I did notice, he takes them to the, the literal sidebar to get drinks that his law clerk pours. And he orders a black Yukon sucker punch for all three of them.
1: Is this a real drink?
0: So it is not a real drink. That's upsetting. Which is what I looked up, but but many people have created their own versions and yeah. they all they all seem to be pretty close together in terms of like what everyone used to make them so i'm going to i'm going to read a couple of these recipes if the listener wants to be able to make their own black yukon sucker punch they looked really really tasty i think they're a whiskey based drink mostly which is not my favorite but if you're into that
1: it looked like there was foam on the top like a gin fizz would have but the foam was like black
0: that is so, yes, correct. There is foam. So, this first one is from welcome to twinpeaks.com. Just want to give credit where credit is due. It looks like they've actually reverse engineered it from a still of all the alcohol that's sitting on the bar when they order it. And it seems like, yeah, a lot of them actually do line up with how you would make the drink. So, they say to get a Collins glass. You're going to pour in one shot of Jack Daniels whiskey, you're going to pour in six ounces of coffee, give or take. Uh, For aesthetic purposes, you want the glass-filled halfway. Uh, In a blender, do an egg white and an ounce of uh, blue curacao and a bit of Perrier. Blend that together until it's uh, kind of foamed up. That's how you get your foam. And then I guess they just pour that in. That's all they do. So it's mostly whiskey, coffee, and the foam. Okay. Everyone else has... So this has a little bit of sweet vermouth in them. And it's it's using two ounces of bourbon. So that's a shot and a half there, basically. It's mostly the foam. And it's the same thing. It's that Blue curacao foam. You get that kind of purpley, uh, purple-y darker foam on there. I'm very intrigued as to how they managed to all settle upon the same recipe.
1: It must be based on just what's on the bar. I guess so. Everybody must be reverse engineering it in the same way.
0: Or one person reverse engineered it, and everyone just looked at that and then changed a couple things and published it like they did it themselves.
1: Stole it, as is the nature of the internet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So speaking of, uh, oh man, it really is just sort of a, a train ride of or train wreck of bad subplots starting to really reveal themselves because Big Ed brings Nadine home from the hospital and she recognizes James quote from the high school. Yep. She asks where mom and dad are. Ed covers James's surprise, but Ed says she's rolling with it. And then Nadine rips the door off the fridge with her new super strength.
1: Well, but maybe not, though. Maybe maybe she's always had super strength, right? Because she does, like, break the bars of her exercise machine in, like, episode one.
0: Oh, that's true. Okay, so maybe, maybe now that she's, like, younger in her mind, it's one of those, like, like since she thinks she's younger, her body has started to produce hormones to make her stronger, like, when she was younger. So now she's just back to being at full strength rather than, like, you know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Also, she's yeah. wearing gloves, and if we remember, there's a certain spoiler superpower glove man in season three.
1: That's true. Uh, so
0: maybe it's maybe it's purely glove related. Have we seen her? Have we ever seen her do super strong feats not wearing gloves?
1: When she bends the bars of her exercise machine, she was wearing she, she
0: was wearing biking gloves.
1: And when she like almost breaks Ed's hand in the hospital.
0: It's uh yep. I think we've done it. Glove equals strong in Twin Peak world. Twin Peak one. Oh boy. So yeah, I hate this. I I, honest, I I sort of just feel like we should start skipping over these bits.
1: And like, I feel so bad because we had like all of these conversations in season one about how like, I think because of this subplot, we both kept kind of like writing off all of Nadine's scenes mm-hmm. and then actually realized that like, actually a lot of them, especially the ones with Ed talking about their relationship are really well written and really heartfelt and then... Ugh
0: okay well the, the trade just keep on rolling here because mr Tajimura arrives and i actually got to spell that i had to pull up the subtitles but mr Tajimura arrives in ben horn's office to offer him five million dollars for ghostwood estates
1: that seems like a lot but i don't know anything about real estate
0: i feel like it's not really like right now that land would be insanely expensive I feel like it's probably a good enough deal 20 years ago. Even though I feel like $5 million is really not that much. I have no idea. Who knows? Tajimura is something. Suspicious is, I think, a charitable way to put it.
1: Yes, we'll go with that. Uh,
0: one could say it's very offensive.
1: One could. One will later in the season. We'll get to that.
0: Uh, yes. I don't even want to talk about it. I, I, I just feel like engaging in it is... Is going to get me tarred and feathered with, like, yeah, this one has to be called out. It's very bad.
1: It's very bad.
0: So, oh, God. It's really throwing me off because I want to talk about it. It's not like I know what everyone everyone knows. It's not not unobvious. Unobvious? What? Well, it's spoilery. I'm trying to actually be. But how offensive it is is, like, compounded and, and complicated in, in such strange ways.
1: Because it's, yeah. Because,
0: Yeah. Jean Reno calls after Hank warns Ben through a secret door that Cooper is on the way. I'm moving on. I can't. He tells him to send the money to a really cool-sounding location behind a bar in an abandoned amusement park on, a on some highway. We with, never get to go by there by the
1: horse with no head.
0: It's pretty cool. I wish we did get to go there. That sounds like a really good location. I would have loved to see the Colombian bar, but instead, it's uh, it's pretty clear that Cooper is just gonna take that money and well, I guess he's just gonna take the money. Because he's not going to give it to... I don't, he doesn't bring it with him later on. Cooper just took all that money. Where does it go?
1: Back, I guess. I do like that it's a good Ben Horn being slimy moment when he um, he tells Hank to follow Cooper and to bring Audrey back because, as he says, Cooper won't be coming back. And then he has the just the sort of little like aside at the end when he tells Hank, he's like, if you can manage it, bring back Audrey and the briefcase.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, or Hank sets off after Cooper and yes I, I guess probably in a later episode we'll see Cooper return the briefcase but I like to think that he just walks off with the cash.
1: Well I do like that he's being very no nonsense and assertive with in that conversation with Ben Horn where it's just like obviously he's like wants to make sure that Audrey's okay but very clearly like also does not trust Ben Horn.
0: Well he also doesn't he doesn't tell Ben Horn that he has insight into where she is he just goes along with the plan as though he's going to deliver it to the location. Donna and Maddie's to steal the diary they just outline i guess there's some kind of catch mechanism that donna spotted in the secret compartment so she relays this to maddie and they're gonna go try and uh try and get it from harold jean renault has it's literally just an assassin's creed hidden blade on his wrist to kill cooper with and he spears some strawberries he and blackie talk about killing audrey as well before blackie's sister nancy shows up and gets i guess gets it on with jean um god
1: i'm a whole damn town
0: i reading through every new note that i have which i only made a couple a couple short hours ago it's like oh god this
1: i don't even know what that means So, Andy gets a call from the doctor. Uh, Still Doc Hayward. I mean, it's not...
0: It's his office.
1: ...about his, his sperm sample that he gave them. They say that he had some condition, now he's cured of it. And then there's something about, it's not just... I don't know what they say. I've forgotten the actual phrase the receptionist or whoever he's talking to. It's like, it's not just a couple of men on a fishing trip, it's a whole damn town. I don't know, he has a lot of sperm now. That's the gist.
0: Yeah, and then he shouts, I'm a Whole damn town, and ugh, it's just so awkward. But Truman gives a very, very—I don't know if I don't think Truman knows what that means, right? No. The idea is he's just like, what the hell, Andy? Sure. Uh, but yeah, Laddie announces this to Truman. <sighs> Truman and Cooper are, uh, I guess, kind of up late planning their one-eyed Jack's infiltration when they're interrupted by Hawk, who has located the one-armed man staying at a motel. Well, I guess they've located that he's staying there. He hasn't been seen in a few days. When he searched the place, he found some of the same drugs they uh, that he left earlier so i don't know he said they're still waiting on the results from albert i have no idea if they ever actually give us tell us what those drugs are but i hope that it has something to do with uh, oil or creamed corn i straight up hope he's in- injecting uh some Garmombosia into his veins
1: just injecting creamed corn
0: yeah well, it's the heavy smell or the oil that could have a heavy smell he says they have a heavy smell to them the drugs yeah whatever um, that means yeah no idea
1: yeah and then truman just the king of subtlety just goes see you in the morning hawk
0: yeah and they resume their planning
1: which i guess i guess hawk points out later that they were not <laughs> yeah. being especially well, 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 secretive hang on hang
0: on hang on hang on let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves andy covered in post-its calls lucy's sister i guess he was covered in post-its in the previous scene too but I was so distracted by his sperm he, he finds the number for lucy's sister in tacoma and calls it i guess hoping to reach her which feels somewhat in they, like she's on vacation, man. Leave her alone. But it, the number actually leads to an abortion clinic twist. She's gotten to get an abortion. So Andy is uh shocked, I guess.
1: Yeah, I have nothing to say about this scene.
0: Yeah, me neither. I specifically made my notes shorter to spend less time summarizing and more time talking about the the substance here. There's so little to talk about.
1: I do actually. I have something for this next this okay, next bullet good. point that you have there. Yeah. There's just nothing. We've been recording for like 20 minutes. Yeah. It's been 40 but still, this is going to be a short episode, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. So the next scene is Donna's back at Harold's house.
0: No problem. No problem, apparently. She made him, she stole the diary, made him seizure, probably forced him out of his home for the first time in like five, six years. And uh, yeah, he's just, they're just good. They're moving on.
1: She tells him this story about, first of all, I love that she's like, this one's from a long time ago. And then she says that she and Laura were 14. And like, she's now 17. It's so, like, it wasn't that long ago, Donna.
0: Yeah, but even when you're seven, I feel like that you It doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, I get that 14, like, feels a lot younger when you're... Like, the difference between 14 and 17 probably feels a lot bigger of a difference when you're 17. But it's, like, three years ago. She says it like it's something, like, that she's recalling from the distant past. But anyway... She tells him this story about how she and Laura went to meet these like older boys at the roadhouse and then they end up, the boys ask if they want to go party and then they end up out in the woods and they go skinny dipping and all of this. And I like the way that she talks about how she, she and Laura went out to meet these guys and then when they were actually at the roadhouse, when the guys ask if they want to go party Laura says yes and Donna you know says something about you know feeling nervous or scared or, or something like that and then later in the story when she she says that you know Laura starts kissing both of the guys I think and then that's when Donna sort of panics and, and is like oh let's look let, let's all go skinny dipping and
0: that's gonna alleviate the situation
1: yeah well but I I like how it I like the way that Donna tells this story because it, it sort of shows that none of this is unexpected right knowing what we know about Laura but you know this is all quite tame but it, it does sort of show that this like this did impact Donna you know and she did sort of like get pulled into these situations and I, I like that as just a little detail about their friendship because I think that for as much as Donna uh, for as much as Donna's whole character is being Laura's best friend we don't spend a ton of time on what that actual dynamic was and so I always like when we get these details
0: it's sort of an odd story though because she says the 13 maybe 14 boys are like 20 mm-hmm. and then she ends up like kissing one of them she says she fell in love for the first time and the story all kind of crescendos to her talking about like that kiss but she's also telling it to harold to like titillate him because they're trying to distract him it's a little uncomfortable too but part of me wonders if like it's even true i don't know she's just completely making this up
1: yeah yeah i wondered that too and i think it's i think it's supposed to be uncomfortable this is one one part i actually kind of like about this episode is that there you know this is a moment where there's all of these like Really, with Laura and with Donna, especially as when she when she's yeah trying to distract Harold and you know a lot of Audrey scenes as well. You know the female characters in this show, especially the younger female characters, right? There's a lot of scenes where there's this sexual or sensual like undercurrent to to a lot of this, and I like this scene because it is just kind of like you know she's telling this story and and whether it's true or not, it's like you know these are like 17 year old girls, like they are children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> none of them are actually that mature you know they're all kind of acting very mature but they're Mm. not and i i just i like that because i think that so much of the rest of this show is like has you know these like weird weird sexualization of underage female characters and it is nice when it hits a moment to be like yeah we're not like this isn't like cool
0: Mm-hmm. that's a good point i like that an owl hoots as harry neatly disposes of a guard outside of one eye jacks he like i think he grab he punches him in the balls but it looks like he kind of grabs his balls because his hand stays there and then he shoves a squishy ball in his mouth and then tapes his mouth with the same hand instantly so i don't know how he did that and <laughs> then like turns him oh. around and knocks his head through the door to open the door it's kind of awesome
1: pretty impressive
0: i don't quite get it they sneak around in one eye jacks apparently just like past people no one gives a shit which makes me wonder why they had to break in
1: they continue to be bad at any kind of espionage But I guess, you know what? If Coop can just walk around one-eyed jacks just obviously talking into his wrist, then sure, he and Truman can just stroll through the place.
0: They sneak around until they spot Jean and Blackie, who are, I was almost trying to say Blackie in a French accent too. Jean and Blackie. hey mine is just as good so they're getting ready to give Audrey a lethal dose of heroin and Blackie gets angry at Jean that he's with her sister Nancy and I actually there's a little detail about this that I really like because she asks him what he gets out of her and he just says something new and she tries to like splash her drink on him mm-hmm. and he manages to like dodge it mostly
1: well and he grabs her wrist to stop her
0: because well she sprays she throws some of it yeah but she got he grabs her wrist and kind of forces her down and she's like looking very angry and I expected his character reaction to be like oh no 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 but instead he just sort of laughs and it's a very genuine laugh and it is kind of menacing and just like she's like staring daggers into him and like this man just doesn't give a fuck at all yeah <laughs> it was very quick but i was like oh there's a little bit of like quality directing acting whatever it was harold and donna sensually touch some flowers and then kiss while maddie sneaks inside to steal the diary and harold like excuses himself for a minute
1: yeah i don't know in- where in- he <laughs>
0: insert went. all the jokes you want to make oh i know where he went
1: i don't know where he went and I also don't know, like, how Donna knew that she was just going to be able to get him to, like, leave.
0: <laughs> why didn't Donna just do it? I don't know. Because this time he didn't bring the diary out. Because in the first scene he brings the diary and the notebook out. Now I guess he knows that Donna's a stealing thief. So he's kept it in the thing. I don't understand why Donna couldn't have just, like, brought a little handbag.
1: Yeah, none of it makes sense. Maddie's very bad at, like, following Donna's very straightforward directions about where the diary is.
0: (laughs) Yep. Cooper catches Nancy and forces, uh, forces her to take him to Audrey. And then when he gets to Audrey, Nancy pulls out a knife that jean had given her an earlier scene and he can see her in the mirror yeah so he like catches her hand before she can stab him and then just like knocks her the fuck out
1: yeah because he grabs her wrist to stop her from stabbing him
0: oh the parallelism Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: anyway and then he knocks her out
0: well unfortunately blackie is not so lucky as jean kisses her and then activates his wrist blade killing her on the spot which is pretty awesome it's a good way to write out this character i support this i like when they kill some people (laughs) maybe just game of thrones has made me and all of society bloodthirsty for for deaths on tv but this was like oh i really hope this is the moment that oh yep yep nice nice
1: well i think too that like there are so many characters that they introduced with good enough reason in the first season of twin peaks but now like the characters that don't get killed off they have to do something with them and they don't do anything good with them so it's always kind of a relief like (laughs) that's a good way to put it because like god only knows what blackie's bad season two subplot would (laughs) have been
0: well i can tell you it would have had to do with heroin oh do you think that girl in season three with the heroin addiction that we see for like one scene i'd say this is a spoiler but it's completely irrelevant to the rest of the show is that just like blackie's daughter no (laughs) that would be amazing continuity though holy shit he spots truman with he's like kissing her so when he stabs her she coughs blood up into his mouth it's
1: nasty it's
0: nasty but he sees Truman through the window I don't know why Truman was just chilling there gunshots are fired they rush out uh, before they're confronted by a gun a gun wielding goon he tells them to drop their gun and just when it looks like it's over for our heroes
1: he gets knifed in the back and then the camera pans up and Hawk has just straight up murdered a man
0: <laughs> so going back and watching this again what's made even better is that the entire time from the second they run into the guy with the gun, Hawk's legs are clearly visible on the stairway behind him. So Hawk Hawk waited like 15 seconds while while Truman dropped his gun and the guy like menaced them.
1: Yeah, and Truman apparently did not see Hawk standing there.
0: And only at the, the peak dramatic moment did Hawk decide to murder a man.
1: You know what, though, there's a part of me that kind of thinks I'm I'm willing to accept that as just a character detail for Hawk.
0: This is a stone cold killer.
1: No i mean that too but i guess but um no that he like waited for maximum dramatic effect oh right right right. because like he knew like he knew he was going to be able to throw the knife and it was going to be fine so he was confident enough to then also pay attention to dramatic timing
0: that makes sense isn't this is you said his girlfriend is his girlfriend an actress
1: hawk's girlfriend she's a phd student or has a phd
0: at brandeis okay yeah for some reason i thought it was in theater arts thought maybe there was a, a link there maybe they were pulling some deep a deep cut but i'm I'm just making it up.
1: I like the deep cut that you've made up, but I'm made it
0: I'm making it up. She's a PhD student for, for yeah, theater studies. So Hawk's just been picking up a little bit from her.
1: I don't think they say like what her
0: PhD is in. Boom. It's that. Write it down. Put it in the wiki. If it's in the wiki, I bet you a lot of people on Reddit will start to believe it and then it'll just slowly get worked into the canon. I, I also don't know what it is. There's something odd about seeing cops killing anyone. Like especially these cops because it's so small. Like it's such a small town that they're, they're the good guys. And maybe it's just like present day where just fortunately police overreach has become such a hot button issue that it's not super fun to watch.
1: I'm sure cops also sucked in the nineties, but well,
0: just like this, this should have been a cool, like awesome moment where they're like, and I was just like, mm. I don't really like to see them. This feels weird. They're supposed to be like fun. They're my fun small town Twin Peaks friends. But also something, there's something weirder. I don't know why it is. There's something weirder about if Hawkett just shot him from behind, that seems less straight up murder to man than like knifing him with a throwing knife. That seems like you're carrying that around specifically to like knife people rather than as part of your like required police uniform.
1: I don't know. For me, it was just like, it was so much less offensive, gratuitous murder than Stranger Things spoilers. That scene in Stranger Things 3 where Hopper just fucking (laughs) guns down a bunch of Russians with a machine gun that I was just like, eh. Yeah. This is fine.
0: Oh, speaking of which, we haven't uh, paused do a uh, a brief review of tv
1: oh i watched the ballad of buster scruggs and it's very good
0: okay it's not tv though
1: it's no well it's a movie but it's a movie told in little vignettes and it's very strange and i think that viewers of twin peaks might also enjoy it
0: well i say uh, i saw the first episode of hbo's Watchmen uh show which I am a huge fan of the book. I was not thrilled about the idea of a sequel show. It is Damon Linloff, who is sort of infamous for Lost, but I really like because of the leftovers, which is great. And despite my, uh, my initial skepticism and not loving what I saw in the trailers, it was actually a pretty good first episode, so I'm intrigued. They're doing something interesting with it. There's a lot of sort of, some racial politics, which I thought they were gonna handle badly, but I've actually, they positioned them in an interesting, interesting way. So people are complaining online, of course, because you know
1: that's what the internet is for
0: flashing back into our show we're almost there uh jean catches hank on the outside who's still carrying Lodwick's badge and then uh finally harold spots maddie after donna fails to distract him well enough trying to steal the diary and chases the two girls into a corner with a gardening implement before <laughs> raking it across his own face drawing blood many finger quotes around that and uh causing the girls to scream before they they fade to credits so
1: there's a couple of things here. Here's my first nitpick, and this is a dumb one. I don't think that's a gardening implement he would need, because it's one of those little, like, mini, like, hand rake things. The second
0: thing- That- that- no, hang on. Hang on. We complain about so much, but that is the most granular, fucking, insanely (laughs) minor complaint I have ever heard. Please apologize to the listeners. No. I'll apologize for you. I'm so sorry.
1: I noticed it. And what is this podcast except for us to talk about things that we th- things that went through our head while we were watching this show for the sixteenth time.
0: I don't understand how you could say there's a couple things about this scene. Because it's just one. There's just one scene. And it's the, the gardening hoe oh, the rake thing, the tips are just so clearly covered in paint. You can see them in the shot when he's holding it. And when he goes to rake his face, he accidentally like gets paint on it before he's supposed to be cutting himself and even when he does cut himself just so obviously paint. no one reshot this scene it's i'm so i hate this there donna doesn't even make an expression by the way only maddie screams and donna just like stares blankly at him thinking the exact same thing we did like are you gonna redo that because you fucked it up
1: and the other thing too is like it's such a like they could have just not like i know nothing about how television is made but to me it seems quite obvious that they could have just not this could have been fixed by a him not fucking up and like accidentally hitting his cheek and getting red paint on himself beforehand but then also just like not having the shot be as much of a close-up like it's just so close that you can obviously see that it's paint and like had it just been from slightly farther away it would not have been quite as obvious
0: yeah, no, you could have you could have just intercut between shots so that you could like, apply do some makeup fake blood. in between. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Now, who who is this doofus? Lenny Von Dolan.
1: Is that the actor?
0: That is the actor. That is not the name I expected. He's still alive. Oh, and he's a silver fox. No. Oh, he's like kind of sexy. Oh my god. This is a really, I mean, this may just be a really, really good photograph of him, but, like, his eyes are piercing blue. I am extremely off-put suddenly by how attractive this old, there's only one photo of him. This might be a fake photo of him. Is this just, no? Okay. Is he in the scarf? Yeah, he's in the scarf. He looks kind of like, like a, I want to say like a better looking Alan Rickman. Rest in peace, Alan Rickman, but.
1: Or like a, a little bit like an old Arthur Darville.
0: Kinda. I see what you mean. Okay, in some of these. He's less attractive in other photos. Oh, but like, oh, he's got a goatee here? Daddy Lenny. Daddy Ew. Lenny Von <laughs> da- Daddy Von Dolan.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna go vomit now.
0: Well, we've got a new character. Daddy Von Dolan can join Snake Mike. So, if one good thing came out of this episode, is Daddy Von Dolan. Also, Lenny Von what are you up to these days? Uh, if you're not doing much, except for IMDb headshots, why don't you come and interview on our podcast? We'd love to know why you didn't tell them to retake that scene. You know, I think okay. So we're in we're in the end stretch now.
1: He's literally known for two things on his IMDb page, which is Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me and Electric Dreams, which came out in nineteen
0: eighty four. Dude, we can totally get Randy Von Dolan.
1: Here is some of his uh, some of his roles since he is the local pedestrian population in Red Dead Redemption two.
0: Okay, so he's like doing stuff. Yeah. He was in Home Alone 3.
1: Oh my god. He was in the psych spit, the psych parody of Twin Peaks. He was sharing oh, yes, like Jackson in the psych parody of Twin Peaks, season 5, episode 12, Dual Spires. Oh my god. Weird. Okay, that's all.
0: Yeah, Lenny Von Dowen's in a lot of stuff. Never mind. We cannot get him. He was in a lot of stuff up until Psych. And then he was in 2017, The Orville. But Psych was in 2010. Film. Not as much, but I guess some uh, some voice acting for some video games, that's good. I don't know. Well, stay tuned. Maybe we'll have Lenny Von Dolan on.
1: I'll tweet at him.
0: Yeah. I mean, we just kind of insulted him a bunch, but bring it on. I'm willing to really rake him over the coals. I'm going to take Lenny Von Dolan to task. So this episode, I think, seems good on paper. Like, reading it, I'm like, oh, this, like, all kind of fits together. Like, this should be fun. This all continues things. But then, kind of start to look at each individual thing, and you realize that, oh... Yeah, Nadine has super strength, and she's thinks she's a kid, and uh, Leo is about to go through a lot of torture for him, torture for me, torture for Bobby and Shelly, torture for everyone. That really is sort of the problem, though, is I...
1: Sorry, before we get into this, I do have to just let you know that he, A, he does have a Twitter, and B, there is a picture that, uh, he was, like, at some Twin Peaks, like cast reunion thing
0: are you kidding me that he was not in season three david oh wait no never mind <laughs> spoiler tag spoiler tag spoiler tag right he definitely dies <laughs> like maybe next episode right well <laughs> we gotta get i'm glad we're getting as much use out of daddy von Dolan as we are now because yeah he may not be around for much longer
1: he's not twitter verified so this might not be him
0: i bet you it still is who's gonna make who's gonna make a <laughs> make account for that guy sorry man sorry i don't mean it like that
1: he only has 214 followers assuming this is actually him
0: dude dude follow lenny von dolan tweet we can
1: totally get him on the podcast
0: can we get him verified though hashtag verify lenny von dolan
1: okay i'll look into this anyway back to the episode
0: You completely threw me off my train of thought when you interrupted my my big final point.
1: I'm sorry, I just... I was so startled by this picture of, like, him and, like, Cheryl Lee and...
0: No, it's just that... So things like, you know, the Tajimura thing is just sort of offensive, but the Leo thing and the Nadine thing, they're not just bad subplots in that they're badly written. They feel torturous. I mean... They feel like the scene of, you know, Jacques, or I guess it is Jacques Renault, like, sweeping the bar in season three for, like, three minutes, but stretched out over the course of an entire season. And that's just not fun. And, you know, there's later stuff, like, Ben Horn goes insane and whatnot, and it's just, yeah, they're not just bad, they're not just dumb, they're actively, like, assaultive to the viewer.
1: And it's, like, it's a waste of characters that, like, you know.
0: Could be doing anything else, yeah. Well,
1: and up to this point have been good not, like, morally, but just, like, well-written, like, interesting characters. Leo, not so much. But, you know, I mean, that those scenes are fine. The Leo-Bobby Shelley drama in season one. It's not, like, painful to watch. It's not my favorite part of the show. I mean, we talked about the the scenes with Ed and Nadine and how, how there are some really good scenes with, with her character. And... Yeah, just like they did all this work of like setting up all of these characters that were relevant in season one. And then just a lot of them, like instead of doing anything useful or like finding a way to neatly write them out, they just did this.
0: And then, we're still on spoiler tags-ish, sort of, but Tajimura, it's like they did write him out and then didn't, Ugh. so. And the same with Leo. It's like they, they actually wrote these characters out inside and out too. Yeah. There's no reason the show couldn't have just maintained momentum going forward. That, if anything, I feel dates it the most, of just like, oh no, the characters are back. You know, like, no one's no one's really gone.
1: I think, too, that, like, you know, the first season was... The second season is so much longer than the first, and it didn't need to be. The first...
0: Got to make that cash money.
1: I know. This could have been, you know, I could see season two maybe being 12 episodes as opposed to season one, which is eight. But, like, right, because the first eight episodes, you know, even with the some of the less fun parts of this episode, like, even this episode is fine. You know, I think a lot of this would have been less, would be less offensive to watch. Not the racist stuff. That's always offensive. But, like, offensive to me is uh, offensive to my sensibilities as a viewer of television. Oh, yeah. Had it just been like, we got these scenes and then it was just left there and it was kind of like, we're not going to continue following these characters, but other stuff continues to happen with them that we just don't Mm -hmm. see in the show. That would have been fine. And then if we'd had like the the last, you know, whatever, last four episodes of the show that uh, of season two, as it, as it stands now, you know, they could have just gone straight to that ending from like episode eight or nine. Mm -hmm. So do you have other closing thoughts on this? Not really. I think some of it's fine, right? Like, they wrap up the Audrey kidnapping thing.
0: Finally, finally.
1: Yeah. I think the ongoing... The scenes with Cooper and Truman that are sort of still in the... Still related to the ongoing investigation. Courtroom slash bar scenes. Those are all fine. And and sort of a relief in the midst of all this other stuff.
0: No, I mean, like I said, I think... It all fits together. Like, it all works. There's nothing plot-wise, if you were just reading this in the Wikipedia thing, that makes this especially terrible. And I still think it's sort of on track with the rest of the stuff. There is the undercurrent of Hawk still updating them on case details, but it does feel like this is a bit of a detour episode because it culminates the Audrey thing, and it doesn't help that it's a detour episode in the middle of uh, a bunch of some of the some of the nascent problems emerging. But nonetheless, everything is rosy and cheery here in good old Twin Peaks. The sun is shining. Actually, it's not. It's very cloudy. It's Washington. It's raining. It's actually, oof, it's really pouring. All right, folks. uh, If you're on the road, you might want to get home. It is starting to thunder, and uh, I think we see a little bit of hail. So tune in next week. Uh, Grab a hot cup of coffee in the meantime down at the Double R, if that's the only place you can head to. And uh, we'll see you next time. Follow us on our social media.
1: We're at Northern Live Pod, and maybe... We'll get some, at the very least, some Twitter interaction with Lenny Von Dolan.
0: Yeah. Hey, hit us up, Lenny.
1: Love to have you on the show.